You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast. And we thank you for joining us today on the podcast. We have a great show on tap for you today. Uh, We're going to be joined by my good friend Jason Klein. Uh, He's going to come on the podcast today as we discuss the uh, updated edition of Evidence Demands a Verdict, which is uh, scheduled to go on sale at bookstores everywhere October 3rd of this year, 2017. So once again, that's going on sale at uh, October 3rd, 2017 uh, this year. So uh, you can go to hashtag true evidence or hashtag read evidence for more, evident, uh, for more information about Josh and Sean McDowell's newest endeavor, the updated evidence that demands a verdict. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, coming up. Also, we're going to talk about a uh, a, a very uh, big issue uh, facing the Christian community, as uh, we were all heartbroken to hear of the passing of one Nabil Qureshi. Nabil Qureshi is uh, an individual who uh, was a Muslim turned Christian apologist. He came to faith due to the um, uh, ministry of David Wood, I believe is his name. He's a uh, roommate and uh, who's also a Christian apologist, as well as uh, the work of, I think is Michael Lacona, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but he came to faith uh, looking at the evidence. And people say, well, you don't come to faith looking at the evidence. Well, you know, this is one thing that led him to the truth of Christianity. It was Christian apologetics. And in addition to that, he also... Um, he was also influenced by, by visions and dreams, a personal encounter, or personal encounters, we should say, that he had with Jesus Christ, uh, So who, who appeared to him. You know, he basically laid down the Bible, laid down the Quran, and said, Jesus, or he said, God, if you're found in Jesus and Christianity, if you're found in this book called the Bible, you know, reveal yourself to me. If, if you're found in Quran, the Quran, reveal yourself to me. And he began to have visions and dreams, which led him to the Christian faith. Uh, but Nabil Qureshi later uh, contracted stomach cancer and uh, passed away at the tender age of 34. So we're going to talk about that uh, coming up on today's podcast. But before we do, we want to remind you that the Bellator Christie podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com. We do hope and encourage you to go and hope you'll check out the website. While you're there, we do encourage you to click subscribe. Uh, simply enter in your email address and you will receive all of the articles and podcasts 
link to the podcasts in your inbox. And the best part of it all is it's absolutely free. Uh, if you, we're also our podcast. You can take the podcast with you on the go. We are found on Google Play which is a newest app where we're found. We're also found on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. So like we said, you can take uh, the Bellator Christie podcast with you on the go as you work, as you play, as you work out, uh, or whatever you may do. We do encourage you to do that. And you know, listen, as you listen to the podcast, you can click, click subscribe on those apps and you'll receive instant uh, updates as soon as, the po- soon as the podcasts become available. Of course, we... Uh, we post our conversational podcasts Sundays, and then the message of the week is usually towards the later part of the week, uh, normally around Thursday, Friday is the time where we get, we're able to get that on the air. So again, we encourage you to check out the website, check out the podcast, uh, be sure to subscribe to all the apps and uh, the website. want to let you know about one thing before we bring Jason on. We uh, have set up a new page at the website, Theology 101. It includes all the major theological articles uh, found at Bellator Christie Podcast, or excuse me, bellatorchristie.com. Apologetics 101 does the same for the realm of apologetics. Uh, the Bellator Christie is devoted to both theology and apologetics, so those are the two main focuses of the website. So you can find the major articles uh, on the on the website there on the page Theology 101, Apologetics 101. We also have a new page as well we want to let you know about, which will be a page that will feature book reviews. And you can find uh, the printed article written on Evidence and Demands a Verdict, our review of that, Jason and, I, my, uh, Jason and I, the review we had, you can find it there as well. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we return, we will have with us Jason Klein as we provide a book review on the updated Evidence that Demands a Verdict. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. At STR, we have always cared about Christianity worth thinking about. And when I found out that the SES conference this year was about pursuing a faith that thinks, I realized that if you go to this conference, you're not only going to have the information you need to deal with people who challenge your conviction, you're going to have the information that will help you deal with the toughest critic you'll ever face, and that's you. That's why I hope to see you there at the SES conference, October 13th and 14th in Charlotte, pursuing a faith that thinks. And we welcome you back to the Bellator Christie podcast. We have with us uh, a contributor to bellatorchristie.com and a good friend. Uh, we've had him on several times before uh, and ha- hope him to have, on, have him back on several times afterwards. We're speaking, of course, of Jason Klein. Uh, Jason Klein is a fellow Liberty grad. Uh, he graduated with his Master of Divinity from Liberty University. Uh, and he's also the uh, chaplain uh, of the, so- the Southwest Chapter of of the Mountain Valley and Hospice and Palliative Care. And so, uh, Jason, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Well, we want to talk about uh, a couple of things on today's podcast. And first and foremost, you and I have had the opportunity to be on the launch team for the new updated 
evidence that demands a verdict. Now, many people who uh, many people are very familiar with evidence that demands a verdict, but one of the biggest questions we seem to be getting is what sets this book apart, this update apart from the previous editions of evidence that demands a verdict. Well, uh, you know, I had that uh, that initial skepticism at first until I was uh, given the privilege of receiving a digital copy of uh, the updated and revised version, and I quickly realized that it is not the same book, Brian, as the originals. Uh, the one that I'm more acquainted with is New Evidence that Demands a Verdict. Uh, that's the copy that I had, and compared to this one, some of the statistics, some of the statistics on the changes, uh, I just want to say nearly 100% of this book has been uh, revised, updated, or reevaluated in some shape or form. Uh, definitely over 50% uh, changes have been added to the book. And some of those changes, I think, are actually better, uh, giving, giving a more well-rounded approach to uh, Christian apologetics. For one, uh, the prologue makes a great case for the existence of God, which really lays the groundwork uh, for the rest of the book, and I know uh, folks like yourself and, and, and myself, you know, we really enjoy a classical stance of defending the faith, um, and I think that that was a, an excellent addition. So, really, what the, what uh, Josh and Sean McDowell do is is really show the necessity of God, and then how how that points to the truthfulness of Christianity. Uh, throughout the rest of the book. So um, I really applaud them for adding that uh, and, and dedicating it, uh, a complete section uh, to that. And I definitely think that it will um, be beneficial for the, for the readers. Some of the other differences that I really appreciate, uh, one is is uh, I'm really fascinated with the internal consistencies of the biblical text and making a defense for that, and they uh, have added or included, I guess you can say, the argument from undesigned coincidences. That was uh, it's not a it's not a new argument, but it kind of received a, a renaissance from uh, Dr. Tim and Lydia McGrew, um, and especially in her book Hidden in Plain View, uh, which really which really. Uh, you know, right now, a lot of the Bible is under attack as far as its consistencies, and and we've been tasked with uh, trying to reconcile some of those difficulties, and I think that the undesigned coincidence argument is very powerful and uh, definitely a much-needed um, uh, argument. Now, the fact that they included that into evidence that demands a verdict, I think, uh, gets it... Uh, incredible balance that that uh, some of the previous editions may not have been able to provide. Hey, Jason, for, for those who may not be very familiar with the undesigned coincidences argument, uh, could you give a brief overview as to what that argument says and uh, what that's about? Well, basically, and I'm not an expert in this, I would definitely want to refer you guys to uh, this section of 
with the man's verdict and especially to Lydia McGrew's book, Hidden in Plain View. Uh, they are really the experts, uh, in my opinion. But basically it is uh, finding um, tidbits of detailed information throughout the gospel that explain uh, another part of uh, the gospel um, that maybe we didn't have the uh, have the information for, you know, whether it be in, in Matthew, something happening in Matthew's gospel that were kind of left out in detail, uh, you know, that can raise some questions about uh, the truthfulness of the text or the consistency of what was actually happening historically. And then, let's say we uh, went into John's gospel or Luke's gospel, and they discuss a similar uh, event and continue to add, to add to some of those details, giving us a more fuller picture of what actually happened. So we're even able to explain some of the, uh, uh, the difficulties in, in the consistency of the, uh, of the biblical text and narrative. So um, I really think that that's an important argument. It's definitely a fun and interesting argument. It's kind of like putting together a puzzle um, and and doing some, de- you know, putting on your detective cap and, and really digging into the scriptures to find out what was really going on and and also harmonizing some of those uh, difficulties that we have in, in, in uh, interpreting the text. And, you know, I agree with you, and I think a lot of those, uh, so you know, some, some of the inconsistencies are more, uh, or so-called inconsistencies are a little more difficult to, to, um, to, to work through, but I think they still can be worked through. But I'd say, dare say the vast majority of the so-called inconsistencies can be harmonized when it, it would just, as you say, just a little detective work. And uh, excellent point. Absolutely. And I think that uh, Josh McDowell and, and his son Sean uh, really, really um, do a, a good service to the Christian community and especially to skeptics, um, you know, including this in their book. It, you know, it's, it, 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 of course, it's this book is a reference book, and Josh and Sean have been very clear about that up front um, in, in the very beginning. Uh, so it's not an exhaustive um, uh, treatment of the undesigned coincidence argument, but it does whet your appetite enough to I get a general feel and some confidence uh, about the biblical text and even spark interest to uh, pursue uh, deeper research in that area. Absolutely. Well, you know, Jason and I, we wrote a, uh, we wrote a, we wrote a post on, or actually wrote a book review, on, and uh, and uh, Jason has told me about uh, some 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 ways that we can become book reviewers, and that's going to be something you're going to see more here on uh, the Bellator Christie podcast, and especially on the website at bellatorchristie.com. Uh, we have a page set up for book reviews and, and looking forward to that. Uh, but to give you a brief summary of uh, what you'll find in evidence that demands a verdict, uh, evidence has four parts. Uh, the first part is evidence for the Bible. Uh, part two is evidence for Jesus. Uh, the third part is evidence for the Old Testament. And the fourth part is evidence for truth. Um, part one consists of a chapter on the formation and canonization of Scripture. 
the su- substantially revised chapters on the uniqueness of the Bible, on the reliability of the New Testaments, and the transmission of the Old Testament, as well as an all-new chapter on the Gnostic Gospels and non-biblical texts. Uh, the second part focuses on the evidence for Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, this, uh, this really focuses on Jesus' claims to divinity, uh, to deity, uh, and so you'll see that a classic trilemma that you find with C.S. Lewis. Uh, Jesus' fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, which is very well done, as well as an uh, as a investigation on the historicity of Jesus, which is uh, is very very good as well. Um, the the, resur- the chapter on Jesus' resurrection has been majorly revised, and uh, also contu- includes a new section on the uh, connection issue. Are you okay? I'm, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay, okay. B- bear with us, folks. We're having some technical difficulties with uh, with our connection, but uh, but basically, the, the second section basically uh, is revamped in many ways. Uh, on the historicity of Jesus and something that I would highly encourage you if you get the book I do encourage you to get the book to take a look at that third section investigates the evidence for the Old Testament this is largely revamped from previous editions Uh, there's a new chapter investigating the influences on Near Eastern texts on the Old Testament and what degree it occurred uh, there's there's a new chapter on the historical historicity of Adam, uh, the historicity of the patriarchs, of the Exodus, of the conquest, of the united monarchy, of the divided monarchy and the exilic period, an argument for the unity of Isaiah, which I strongly hold that Isaiah was one book written by one writer, um, historicity of Daniel, and the so-called contradictions of the Old Testament. And the fourth section is devoted to the evidence for truth, uh, chapter 28, looking at the knowability of truth, has been lightly revised. Uh, the other chapters in the section have been substantially updated, including a chapter on the nature of truth, response to postmodernism, a response to skepticism, uh, possibility of miracles, and the knowability of history. And the epilogue is new. There's response to uh, Bart Ehrman, and as Jason mentioned, uh, the prologue is uh, is is completely new, as it gives a uh, the lays the groundwork for a classical approach to the Christian worldview. Uh, so, Jason, as we've talked about the summary, what are, do you see as some of the benefits of the new edition of this book, of the updated new edition of Evidence? Well, definitely the prologue and um, the argument from undesigned coincidences um, but moving forward with that as well, uh, this, this book is really just kind of, for, for me, I, I love theology and apologetics, and this is a vast discipline. Uh, there's so much to, to study, so much to learn, and the benefit of this book is it really, it really just takes what all the scholars are, are talking about today in, in the academic setting and what is uh, believed and what is even, you know, kind of questioned. And uh, it's laid out in, in one book, uh, you know, especially for those who, who are really just wanting one kind of authoritative text uh, to defend their faith. Uh, evidence that demands a verdict has always been that book. 
and I, again, I think that they have um, they have raised the bar uh, from previous editions uh, and are, are meeting uh, meeting the church in in our society where we're at today. So you know, they updated and, and made a, uh, some some additional changes to make it more relevant to what's happening today, and and especially in skepticism and. For the for the lay person who you know just wanting that one text, I mean, there's there are so many scholarly references in evidence that demands a verdict that's unreal. Uh, I mentioned to you uh, before. I, I feel like Josh and Sean have pretty much taken my entire library and condensed it down into one book, and that is so convenient and and so helpful. Um, and you know, it allows us to really have a good overview of what's going on, and even um, for me, help me discover some of my passions of what of what I really enjoy studying. And um, without having to feel like I need to go out and buy all kinds of uh, books on theology and apologetics, now I can have this book on hand and then just continue to um, explore areas of interest uh, more fully. So I think that is a huge benefit to this book. Is it's basically consolidated, um, you know, what's going on in, in the one book, and it allows even um, this information. There's so much information. Um, Josh McDowell commonly refers to. He says there's just a tsunami amount of information uh, out there, and it really puts it into the hands of of us out here in the, in the pews and in the streets and in the churches um, where before a lot of this information really wasn't accessible. So that is, that is uh, probably another benefit of the book as well. Uh, I'm just really excited about it. I, I, think, I think this is a, an anointed project. I think the blessings of the church, and you can't go wrong uh, getting it. Um, uh, even with some of the weaknesses, I'd say the strengths, uh, far outweigh the weaknesses in justifying uh, having this book on your on your bookshelf. Absolutely. And speaking of strengths and weaknesses, just kind of looking at I mean, because every book except for the Bible, of course, has has strengths and weaknesses. And I would agree with Jason in saying that the strengths are are, are far outweigh the weaknesses of the book. Um, you know, first and foremost, the overwhelming evidence prevented, presented. For Jesus' historicity and reliability of Scripture is just quite honestly mind-boggling. Um, you know, second, the book is extremely well researched, uh, which is which is something that anyone who picks up the book will see. Uh, the book it succeeds in doing what it sets out to do in uh, defending the Christian worldview. It it does that quite well. Um, nearly all of your major objections to the Christian faith are answered in this book. Uh, but the only weaknesses, if I could see any weaknesses in the book, um, the only the only major weakness I see is that uh, you know sometimes some some sections are uh, there are a lot of quotations given to the point that you may not hear the author's voice. But then again, that could also be said to be a strength because it is so very well researched. Uh, you know, I in my opinion, I think a greater emphasis could be given on the early dating of the Gospels. But here again. Uh, that's minor compared to the wealth of evidence that's given for the New Testament. And then in my own personal opinion, and this is just my personal opinion, um, 
I, I, I really kind of had wished that they had, uh, instead of having the prologue as it was, make it into a section because there's so much evidence for, for instance, the Kalam cosmological argument. Uh, you know, the cosmological arguments in general, the, the teleological design arguments, and, and the uh, ontological arguments, moral arguments. You know, we could go on and on and on. But as Jason said, I highly agree with him that the... Um, that the strengths far outweigh any of the perceived weaknesses that may be in the book. So I would say that you need to get a copy of Evidence Demands a Verdict. Jason, any final thoughts on, on the Evidence Demands a Verdict project? I just, I just highly recommend it. Uh, uh, I highly recommend uh, churches snagging this book up and, and really uh, getting groups together and, and discussing this and having these very important conversations. One of the things that we see in the church today is really uh, uh, it's an epidemic, if you ask me. Uh, people just uh, not really having um, a solid foundation to why we believe what we believe. And I think that uh, evidence that demands a verdict has always been and, and will continue to be that book. Um, to build up people in the faith and strengthen their faith and uh, give us something substantial to lean upon uh, even in periods of doubt and struggle. Uh, so I, I definitely want to encourage uh, everybody listening to really consider getting a, a copy of this book. Um, it's not so much about uh, benefiting the authors, but uh, also, uh, you know, their ministry, but also uh, to, to what this ministry will do for you and, and in your church and community. Absolutely. Uh, if you gave it uh, from one to five stars, five being the highest, uh, what what set of stars would you give this book? Well, I would definitely, I would definitely give it a five star rating. I believe that uh, with the amount of uh, work. And uh, scholarship put into into this text, it is worth every penny, and it's definitely deserving of uh, five complete stars. And I and I concur. I concur. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a brief commercial break, and when we come back, we'll have Jason with us as we talk about another important topic, and that is the passing of Nabil Qureshi. Uh, a lot of people have been impacted by his passing, so we'll be right back. You're listening to the Bellator Christie podcast. When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware 
of the new evidence out there to understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence. Welcome back to the Bellator Christie Podcast. We have with us, as mentioned earlier, we have with us uh, Jason Klein, good friend, contributor to BellatorChristie.com. Uh, as uh, the first section, in the first section, of course, we discussed the uh, new updated version of Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, and now we want to talk about another issue that is facing uh, the, the apologetics world, the theology world, and the Christian community. And that is the passing of one Nabil Qureshi. Uh, for those who don't know, Nabil uh, is the uh, individual, 30 years, 34 years young. Uh, he uh, died of stomach cancer this past weekend. His funeral was held yesterday. And, um, and um, he, he was a Muslim-turned-Christian apologist, and he faced a lot of scrutiny because of his decision to follow Christ, as often happens uh, when, when someone switches from one major worldview to another. But, um, Jason, you are a chaplain, and, and you deal with this every single day. So, how is God glorified through the passing of his saints? How would you answer that question? I'm, I'm sorry, but I believe you got cut off there. Oh, no problem. Uh, going back, we you deal with this every day in your line of work as a chaplaincy for hospice. How, how is God glorified through the passing of his saints? Right there, I'll, I'll tell you. There's just so many, uh, so many ways this, this question can be answered, and I think a lot of it um, is beyond our complete understanding. In many ways, I think um, first and foremost, as a community, it is very important that we understand that grief is a gift from God, and, and um, that is one way that uh, He can be glorified. Uh, just in just in um, exercising that right to grieve, uh, you know, we think about Jesus at the death of, death of Lazarus. Uh, uh, in, the, in the Bible, there it says that he wept. Um, I think what I want to extend to the Christian community right now is I know there's a lot of questions and a, and a lot of uh, uh, wounds that have uh, emerged from this, but I want to I just want to say that right now we need to really focus on grieving. Uh, remembering uh, Neville and, and his contribution to um, uh, the Christian community and even to the Muslim community. Uh, he, has, he has made a profound impact on my life, and, and though I've never met him personally, um, in his passing, he has reinvigorated in me a desire to 
uh, continue on and and keep up uh, uh, the ministry, running the race, and, and keeping the faith. Um, and I think that's one way that God is glorified. And, and the other way too is uh, we have to remember that uh, the bill from 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 the very beginning has always belonged to God. Amen. And uh, in the Bible, it says that the Lord delights in the deaths, deaths of his saints. And I used to think that that was kind of a peculiar passage, kind of a morbid passage. But when we think about it, it's really a homecoming. Mm. And uh, this is, this is the, in the ultimate scheme of things, this is, this is what it's all about. You know, we're, we, sing, we, we sing these songs, uh, Victory in Jesus. We sing about this earth not being our home. We're just... Uh, sojourners passing through uh, is receiving his reward right now. Amen. Uh, and, and the Lord has is glorified because of receiving uh, his creation uh, back to him. When you think about the Bill's life and ministry, uh, you know, we can ask so many questions. Why, why did... Uh, why did the Lord take him at such a young age? Um, you know, he was really doing a wonderful thing, uh, speaking all over the world, writing uh, books, and uh, seeing uh, the conversion of many Muslims and, and even some skeptics. Uh, you know, what what's going on? What, what kind of questions? Well, I mean, there's just all kind of questions that emerge from this, and I think that uh, what, one way we see God being glorified is how his life and ministry has impacted others and what he continue to do in the future, um, especially in the spirit of his presence and, his, and, and in his uh, speeches, uh, his sermons, a lot of his uh, encounters with, with folks that uh, you know had serious questions about Christianity. Uh, those things are going to carry on, and those are going to be the things that people remember and ultimately... Uh, his humble spirit and, and graciousness um, is really it really only makes sense if God exists. And I know a lot of times that's going to raise uh, questions right there. Of, you know, I can't help but think about the idea of uh, how this might impact Nabil's parents. Amen. Um, I, it's my understanding that they, they continue to be Muslim. Um, but the way Nabil clung to his faith all the way until his last breath, I'm just wondering how that might impact uh, his parents. I, I'm definitely convinced, I know as, as a parent myself, that I would be praying for my, my children, and I'm sure that they uh, were praying to Allah uh, for healing, but healing didn't come. Mm. So even they have to ask themselves the same questions we're asking. Why didn't my God heal Nabil Qureshi? And hopefully that is the beginning of a journey uh, for his parents to uh, the truth of Christianity and their conversion. So I, I want to think about that too. I want to think. I want to think about the ultimate scheme of things, and and uh, the good that's going to come out of this, and operating under the principle that uh, the Lord works everything out for the good of those who, who are called according to his purposes, and that God is a loving God, a merciful God, and a just God. Um, 
Well, and you and you bring up a couple of great points. And and Jason, I know in a private conversation we were talking, or you you had mentioned, and if and if you feel at liberty to say this, and if not, I understand too. But you'd mentioned something about that at certain times, when when people are healed, they they go back to the old ways. Now, now Bill was a Christian apologist, so he would continue to it would have continued his ministry, absolutely, but. But there's something about when when someone passes that it does something to an individual that other occasions do not. And, and are, are there some are there some areas that you can mention that where you've seen those cases just like that? Are you there? Hey, Brian. Hey, hey, I'm can, sorry, you were cutting out, brother. I couldn't hear everything. Oh, no problem. I was just saying that um, you know, a lot of times through death, uh, that has more of an impact on individuals than even uh, than even healings do. Sometimes, what are some ways that you have seen where that has impacted people to, for the good? Well, I've seen uh, estranged families. Um, brought back together and reconciled, uh, strengthened relationships. I see uh, forgivenesses uh, being extended when, when uh, you know, really there was no hope for that. Um, there, there is just so many things that, that uh, come about when we think about the finality of death, but, you know, uh, and the finality of our relationship with this person. It really gives us a sense of uh, humility it gives us a sense of uh, divine wonder and wisdom and really causes us to reflect upon our life and, and what's really most important. And I know that uh, those who are really close to Mobile, um are really grieving right now and they're probably uh, doing a lot of introspection and reflection on their own life, their own ministry. And I, I guarantee you we're going to see uh, strength and uh, faith is, is another thing. It, it, let, me, let me just talk about that for a second. That is just an amazing thing to me, and it, and it always solidifies the truth of Christianity for me like no other evidence. When I see a Christian uh, going through death and the dying process, and just how strong they become, how they cling to their faith in such a way it is such a beautiful thing, and it is so, it is so spiritual, it is so sacred, uh, and it's so touching and heartfelt. Um, it, it's just so powerful, Brian. I see this every day, and I see uh, folks um, have had these amazing experiences. Uh, you may want to call them spiritual encounters, um, but you know their their faith is just is just at the time when you think that it should be falling apart and they should be questioning God and being angry at God. And, and, and there are some instances when that happens, and, you know, that happens quite a bit, but at the end of the day, when that last breath is strong, they're still clinging to, to Christ. Uh, that really says something uh, to me about our faith and, and its truthfulness. Absolutely.
Well, Jason, brother, we know you have a very busy day ahead of you, and we wish you the best. And thank you so much for being with us today. And we uh, definitely want to extend our sympathies and prayers to the Nadabil Qureshi family. Uh, we're going to be back with just a few concluding thoughts and um I'm going to try to see if I can post a portion of Jim Tour's message uh, given at Nabil Qureshi's uh, at Nabil Qureshi's funeral, and it goes coincides with something that Jason just said about how Nabil Qureshi was faithful to Christ up until the very end. You are listening to the Bellator Christie podcast. We're standing on the ground that for three years we have prayed that will one day be the site of the greatest Christian school in the world. We've prayed that way. We believe God gave us this mountain for that purpose. I've said to these young people repeatedly and I say it again to you today. You are the hope of America. When you leave the graduation platform of liberty, I want you to leave it running. Leave it running with a vision burning in your soul. You're going to change this world for Christ. Don't look around and wonder who it is. Say, God, make it me. Make it me. Because we're training champions. That's a part of the vision. Write the vision, make it plain. We're training champions to change the world. Those words, spoken by Dr. Jerry Falwell, cast a vision that brought us to this mountain. Those who were around during the early years remember attending convocation in a 3,000-seat tent because no building on campus could hold all the students. Then there was the winter of 1977 when the building they'd been using for classes was scheduled for demolition. Their response was to stand in the snow for two hours, praying, Welcome to Liberty where we train champions for Christ. Welcome to a world of audacious dreams, a world where strong character is built with grit and grace, a world where men and women go out bravely to fix what's broken. What one man dreamed, his son built. Ten years ago, President Falwell picked up the mantle his father laid down, and the university has been flourishing in ways thousands of faithful dreamers had seen only in their prayers. Our tradition of unwavering faith is their legacy, because you are what they prayed for. Graduates, you will face seemingly insurmountable hardships and obstacles often throughout your career. At times, everything will seem hopeless and every fiber of your being will be screaming for you to quit and give up on your dreams. But persevering in those darkest hours is what separates the winners from the losers. Only if you press on will you achieve greatness. We defy the stereotypes that others try to impose on us. Your classmates are directing their own films, interning at NASA, and taking on poverty across the globe. While the world sees champions as only victors, we will reclaim the word and its meaning. We 
the champions, in order to affirm our tradition of unwavering faith, ignite a passion for wisdom, challenge perspectives, inspire creativity, and pursue knowledge. Do resolve to be the voice for the voiceless, bring healing to the hurting, fight for the oppressed, defend freedom, defy stereotypes, and follow God's calling wherever it may lead. It is who we are, it's what we stand for, it always has been and always will be. To learn more about Liberty University, go to liberty.edu. All right, back in the final few moments of the Bellator Christie podcast, we do thank uh, Jason Klein for being with us today. Uh, I want to uh, just basically end the podcast with just a, just a note. Um, a lot of people have had their faith damaged or have said that their faith has been damaged by uh, God's rejecting uh, or, or well, I'm not going to say failure to heal Nabil, uh, because God could have healed Nabil if he had so chosen. Um, but w- one thing I want to just say is is that we must understand uh, that, that, yes, I believe our prayer, prayers have a powerful impact, and I believe that God answers our prayers according uh, to, to, to our prayers, and, and, and that um, you know there were many people who were praying for Nabil's recovery. But just because God did not heal Nabil, uh, did not does not mean that God somehow cursed Nabil or or did not care. Because God loved Nabil Qureshi with an everlasting love and still loves him as, even as he is alive today. And you know, I think that a lot of times we, we we want to focus on on our ministries and what we're doing, but it's more important to focus on, I believe, on what God is doing. And so, speaking in that manner, I want to end the podcast with a brief message by Jim Tour given at Nabil Qureshi's funeral. And we will close after this. We thank you for listening to the Bellator Christie podcast. Be much in prayer for the family and friends of Nabil Qureshi. And we'll see you back next time. We're going to close with this message by Jim Tour given at Nabil Qureshi's funeral. My name is Jim Tour. I met Nabil in 2012 when he was a student at Rice University. He used to come over to my home to eat. And uh, uh, he enjoyed my wife's cooking. And I remember the first time I, I sat with him at the kitchen table because it was, he was always there longer than everybody else. And we got to talking. And I remembered when he he got the offer from RZIM, it was the same time he had gotten an offer to do his PhD at Rice. And very few offers are made for PhDs at Rice in in the religion department. And he says, I'm really torn on what I ought to do. And I said, Nabil, I can help you. He says, what's that? I said, you would be an idiot not to take the RZIM offer. 
be at Barnabas and travel with Paul and learn this. We kept track of each other and he, he would send me texts and, and, and uh, call me on occasion. And then he called me with the diagnosis that he had gotten. And when he came back to Houston, he asked me to mentor him. And I said, you know, I just, just pushed him away. I said, no, you don't want me to mentor you. He came back the next week. He said, I really want you to mentor me. I said, you don't know what you're getting into. I said, you know, I'm not Oxford trained. You've got your degree from Oxford. He says, I want you to do this. So finally, I agreed. I said, I'm going to speak to you some tough things. And uh, uh, he says, I'm ready for it. You do it. So we would just meet. Oh, once every week, once every two weeks, just over dinner in my home, just he and I, and, and, uh, and I'm going to give you today the first lesson that I ever gave him, which I think was the most impactful lesson. Then I'm going to give you also the last lesson that I gave him, which was given to him in the hospital just recently. And the first lesson was this. I asked him, I said, what have you been reading in the scriptures lately? And he showed me and I said, so what have you been getting out of it? And he said, well, I've been, you know, critiquing this and studying whether the relevancy of this portion and, and, and the authenticity of that portion. And I said, and what's God been saying to you? He says, well, really not a lot. I've just been critiquing it. And I said, that is your problem, Nabil. Every word in this book is true. Every word in the book is true. God has watched over his word to perform it. And I am so glad that you got all this education. But remember, every word in this book is true. You read the, 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 the uh, testimony of, of uh, Billy Graham. It was not until he fell on his knees and said, Lord, I take every word in this book as truth. It was only then that his ministry burst forth. And I said, you have some repenting to do. So we got down on our knees right there in the kitchen. And he repented. For not taking God's word as every word being true. He texted me that night and he said, he said, it is just like when I got saved. The Lord is speaking to me so richly through the scriptures. That changed it. I encourage you with that to challenge you to do the same thing. The last lesson we had was this. It's what I called with him the New Testament challenge. I said, Nabil. A man, a woman, cannot read the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation. Cannot read the New Testament twice without becoming a Christian. He said, has that been your experience? I said, absolutely. I've done prison ministry. I speak with professors all the time. I've spoken with big politicians. It works every time. Happened with my own mother that way. If you do not become a Christian sometime going through the first time, and what you do is you, you open up the New Testament, you start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and you say, Lord, speak to me through the scriptures. If this is real, if this is what God has given us, speak to me. You read through that. You'll get to Revelation chapter 22. If you've not become a Christian, you start reading it again, and boom, it's going to hit you. You will say, there is no man like Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the bookends of the lessons that I had with Nabil. There is some chatter on the internet that, that Nabil somehow denied the faith in the end. That is not true at all. I was with him almost every day for the last couple of months. And he continued to stand fast. I never heard him complain. With all his pain, I never heard him 
He never even told me about his pain. It was only when the nurses would come in that he'd say, what number pain are you up to? And he'd tell me and I'd go, wow. He never would tell me. He never complained. He never asked, why me? Why is this happening to me? He never asked this. Such an unusual young man. And then, just a few days before he passed, he was very weak and on the bed. And I leaned over his face and I said, Nabil, I love you. And he opened his eyes, he said, I love you too. And then, I took a chant that I taught him, that I learned from the Pakistani and Indian suffering church. I learned this as a teenager because I was discipled by Pakistani and Indians when I first got saved as a teenager. And I used to see them go on their processions. And they had this chant where one man would shout at the top of his lungs. And here's the direct translation. Shout, Jesus is the name of, and then the congregation would shout victory. The word victory is ja, ja. And it goes like this, and this is exactly what happened, is I, is I leaned over and I said, Nabil, Bolo Yesu Kanamki. He lifted up his head and he said, Ja! I need my Indian brethren and my Pakistani brethren here to help me out three times, like you do on procession. This is the last word that Nabil said to me. Victory. Jesus is the name of victory. Bolo Yesu Kanamki. Ja! The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childer saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.